So, hey, Melissa, how are you? I'm great, Kurt. How are you? I am so stoked about what just happened in my basement. (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) We're keeping it in. We're keeping it in. For anyone who's a Drag Race fan, I hope that your brain went to the same place that mine did. But anyway, we just did something very exciting in our studio space. Yes. We just got to interview the lovely, wonderful, just pure delight... Mr. Adam Jacoby. Who we are so excited to finally get to talk to. After this was literally our fourth attempt. We've been trying for since before I was even a part of this podcast. Kurt has been trying to get an interview with Adam. Adam was one of the very first people to like listen to the podcast and give me some feedback. And I wanted to talk to him for so long because he has had such a rich history in the activity of forensics and debate. Uh, he has been a part of the WFCA, the NSDA, which was the NFL. He has taught debate overseas, and he is now the executive director of the Wisconsin High School Forensic Association, uh, which I just said without having to look at the logo on his shirt. <laughs> You'll understand that once you listen to our interviews. And yeah, interviews plural, guys, because we were just so just in it in the moment with interview that this is going to come out in multiple parts yes because we, we're it's just that exciting we will definitely be talking to adam for the next three weeks Woo-hoo! guys so settle in uh enjoy this conversation uh adam had so much to share from his really rich history in forensics um and i know i got a lot of out of our conversation and i'm excited for you guys to hear it uh we're talking about all those things we talked about like his time as a student in forensics we go into uh how he became a coach uh, then we talk about how he got involved in the NSDA slash NFL. The NFL. Uh, then we talk about him going to China. Uh, then we talk about him getting the job and we talk about HSFA versus FCA mm-hmm. a little bit. We get into it. We do it. It's all there and it's all coming out. And, and we also had a really great conversation about congressional debate. Yes. Uh, that we are excited for you guys to hear. So that's all coming at you over the next three weeks. Here is... Part one. Doop, 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 doop. So today we have a very exciting interview with a guest that we have been trying to book for well over three years. <laughs> um, He's and just it's very fu- busy. It's finally happening. Welcome to the Forensic Spaces podcast for his debut, Mr. Adam Jacoby. Woo! Yay! Snaps for you. Hello, everyone. Uh, as a uh, as a fan of the Forensics Faces podcast, I'm really thrilled to be here, too. Yay. Welcome, welcome. to our studio. Yes. So um, how does it match up with what you thought of in your head? You had uh, an image of what this would be. I, I did. Uh, it exceeds my expectations. I, I heard basement, you know, corner and big scary monitor in the last episode. And it's really homey and warm and 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 just very professional looking, too. So okay. hats off to the decor and the decorator. And <laughs> All Kurt. All curtain, all this blues and grays fanciness. <laughs> There's some black here. <laughs> There's a lot of black okay. as well. So and and red from your trophies. Blues and grays and blacks. <laughs> um, so you've listened to the podcast. You know that generally we like to start an interview with "Tell us your forensic story." You have quite the story. I, I guess us, I do. Let's sure. take us. We'll just kind of walk through your life in forensics and debate, and uh, we'll jump in with some questions. But where did it all start for you? It started at Christopher Latham Scholes Middle School, uh, which no longer exists. It now houses that building, houses Ronald Reagan High School. Shout mm-hmm. out to Carrie Baker. And um, I was in a homeroom at the time where our teacher decided that we would all do service projects. So the one she assigned to me was to do the PA announcements. We had a secretary at the time in the school who was doing it and to some degree she was struggling with it and you could tell um, it wasn't her favorite thing to do so I went in and uh, started reading the announcements and the very next day all of my classmates came up to me and said Adam Mr. Davis wants to see you after school and I'm like 
why does a big scary band teacher want to see me? I'm in choir. And so I went and saw him and he literally gave me uh, Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address mounted on black construction paper, shoved it in my hands and said, here, you're reading this at the forensics meet next week. Um, this is where you come, have your parents sign this and we'll see you there. I'm like, oh, okay. So I went home and gave the permission slip to my parents and figured it was an order that I had to do this because I was a rules follower. Can you imagine a world in which you can just find a talented student and be like, here. That's what you're doing. Do this. Sign this. That's why Show up school, on Saturday. Middle school forensics is so key for, for getting the kids engaged because mm-hmm. they're, they're more impressionable, uh, more willing to try things out. And so I did. And I was mortified in Aww. my first round. I was standing there. And there was this she uh, judge who was probably in her 20s who had this really kind face, really kind eyes. And she was literally, I, I still have this image of her sitting there as she was evaluating me, kind of nodding her head and giving me all this affirming body language. And I just felt stronger and stronger. And by the end of the round, I just, I felt such a high from doing what I had done and went on to the next round with my voice stronger and and my confidence greater and uh, the rest as they say is is history well moments in history was one of the categories I did in high school nice. uh, along with special occasion dabbled in radio uh, a little bit in oratory and solo serious uh, as I bounced around mm-hmm. before I figured out that that I was more of a rhetorical oratorical kind of person but uh, but yeah I really had a lot of fun with that at the time uh our i'm curious do you remember like what the result of that very first round with the gettysburg address was gosh i don't know it was middle school it was a festival so i i remember leaving the meet with a ribbon i okay. don't even remember what color it was <laughs> but you got a ribbon <laughs> but i got a ribbon and and uh yeah it just kind of went on from there and at the the very last or the second last meet of the season the very last meet of the regular season we hosted a meet at our middle school and I think that's where I fell in love with hosting mm-hmm. um, you know the the whole idea of, of putting on a, an event and all the planning that goes into it and our teacher was really good about empowering us to have jobs during that and and I think I learned a lot from it and fell in love with the activity which is why when I continued on, at Rufus King for high school, I, I stayed involved and, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't do NFL or what's now NSDA or NCFL or anything like that. We were primarily WHSFA and WFCA um, in in high school. And then when I started coaching, kind of continued on until I discovered uh, the other things. But uh, yeah, that was my, my early history in the activity. And uh, I also did theater on the side in high school. So like a lot of forensics kids, I had that. And you know, it's it's really kind of funny. I was I was talking with some other coaches yesterday uh, at the WHSFA uh, state debate meet at UW Oshkosh, and uh, Elliot Fisher was our more than capable and hospitable host there. Yeah, he's okay. Yeah. He's all right. Whenever, fine. <laughs> and uh, and we were all talking about how a lot of kids who often find themselves either current or former uh, victims of bullying, or maybe have some kind of social anxiety or something else often migrate to forensics as an escape. And it certainly was for me. Uh, I I was bullied to the point where I was almost killed uh, in Mm. middle school. Um, Shoals at the time was not one of Milwaukee's finer gems of a middle school. and, And I really struggled a lot. And I, I found something where I could do something where people believed in what I was doing and gave me affirmation. And I, and I think that's so important. And, you know, I, I really didn't come to terms with, with my sexuality, my sexual orientation until I was into my 30s, quite frankly. Um, but I really feel like my involvement in the activity being around other people who shared my lived experiences really helped empower me. And I think... Hmm. <laughs> that got really serious yeah. um, really fast. But um, I, I think just kind of coming full circle, even as a coach, finding a group of people that I felt like I could be a part of, belong to, who would accept me. Um, you know, I often tell my people outside of the world of forensics that the kind of people that our, act- our activity attracts would be kind of like a cross between Glee and Big Bang Theory. 
And if you think of the personalities, the intellectuals, you know, it's not always cool to be an intellectual or it's, you know, it's not always cool to be nerdy. I'm surprised it's not illegal at this point. Mm. Yeah, aye, we'll get aye, there. Aye. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, that was uh, kind of my entryway into it. And then um, when I went to college, um, my high school coach knew how much the activity meant to me. And he asked if I would judge, made me take the WHSFA certification course, um, like literally weeks into my college enrollment. I, I was doing this as a wet behind the ears, 18 year old. And uh, I started judging right away. And then he invited me to assistant coach a year later. And then after that said, you're ready, take over. So by my junior year in college, I was running the whole show uh, at Rufus mm. King for forensics. And did that oh. for another 11 years afterwards. So That's awesome. I wish we had colleges in Sheboygan where people stuck around. <laughs> I mean. That sounds like a really good exit strategy. <laughs> it's true. But as, as someone who also joined in right after graduating high school and then just had it handed over to me, I know how that experience goes. <laughs> mm -hmm. So you, since you brought it up, we talked about like the, we've talked on this podcast a lot about what it means to be in forensics, uh, finding a place to belong. Um can you expand a little bit more on on how that works uh, from your perspective now? We should probably say we're we're talking going back and talking about your your past, but also your current position is that you are the executive director. Is that the title of the Wisconsin High School Forensics Association? Um, you know, it, from your perspective now, is that still something that exists in the world of forensics? Is there something that we uh, do or need to do or should be thinking about as we're creating an environment where that can happen? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think, you know, and, and there's a great debate right now as there are about a lot of issues in, in our current political climate and, and, and discourse about safe spaces in general and, and spaces where uh, people can feel like they belong. I go back when, when I took ed psychology in college and we talked about as educators, uh, the, the different developmental stages that, that young people go through, um, everything from as, as simple as Maslow's hierarchy of needs and the need to belong. Um, and, and we provide a really crucial outlet for that, as, as, well, as a lot of performing arts and, and other uh, creative outlet activities do, I think. Um, but each has its own little niche and its own little um, set of... <sighs> can't think of the word, but the set of, of things that it offers. And, and I think what's so important about forensics and the fact that no matter what kind of school you're at, whether you're in the Northwoods of Wisconsin or in the urban area of Milwaukee, uh, you are part of a group that is a subpopulation of the rest of the school. The, the teammates on a team support one another's endeavors. Um, one of the reasons why the fear of public speaking ranks so highly is because we make ourselves vulnerable when we're in front of a group of people, because we perceive as communicators sharing a message that they're judging us and how we're communicating. And what I would always tell kids and tell my students when I taught public speaking at Ripon College is that the message is more important than what people think of you as you're delivering the message. Mm -hmm. If you can get over that and get mm -hmm. and really, and, and I think from a forensic contest standpoint, when a student is trying to win over the hearts of their judges, of their peers, that they're really looking at the message that they're giving, whether it's a speech or performance and in the narrative of their character. And they really need to internalize that so it comes out. And that's their focal point. Because quite frankly, if they're doing that right, their their vocal physical delivery will follow suit. Mm -hmm. You know, it's and and I'm preaching to the choir here because I've I've listened to the podcast and listened to you both uh, pontificate about that. But I think that's so important. And I think the reason why we're a safe space is because we allow people an outlet to express that. And mm -hmm. I think that's why a lot of forensic kids, as well as as theatrical performers, are often extroverted introverts. You know, that that we find a way to communicate with other people, to open up when we need to. But then I, personally, I, I need to kind of just have me time alone where I recharge away from other people. And that's sacrosanct. Mm 
mm-hmm. but you know that's so i don't know if i answered your question yeah. or just rambled but no no yeah. you definitely did it's the idea that and we talk about it a lot about how one of the reasons that i stand so firmly in forensics is because it's one of the places where we get to encourage teenagers to have a voice in a lot of environments where they're being told not to have one yet because they're not old enough or they don't know enough yet and they come to forensics and we say no I want to know about your experience. I want to hear your voice. I want to help you find your voice. And so I think that's one of the things is that it's the comfort to be able to do so. And unfortunately, so much of the academic environment of high school, too, is focused on, uh, you know, test results as opposed to uh, creating an informed human being. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, somebody who has a bunch of facts stuffed in their head is not the same as someone who can... uh, take information and analyze it and create uh, a well-formed opinion, uh, which is, you know, part of what leads us to the current political climate we are in right now is that we have a nation full of people who have um, a difficult time discerning good information from misinformation. Uh, And, you know, so it's forensics continues to be one of the things in in life uh, that I think uh, has value for that. Um, but also, you know, there's the emotional side, which yeah. is that it's so good. Um, I remember that feeling of being in high school and feeling like I had a, a safe space before that was in the lexicon. Right. You know, it was just a place where I felt like I could be myself um, and and how important that is to, to share with young people today. So, um, so yeah, we got ahead of ourselves there a little bit. Um, <laughs> but you have experience in the forensics world outside of the U.S. because you are an international man oh my of forensics. Yeah, I uh, and it was quite by accident that it happened. I, I In many respects, I feel like it, it, with this activity and in general, I've been in the right place at the right time mm-hmm. and just had the privilege of meeting the right people. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it was while I was flying back from NSD Nationals in Atlanta in 2003, and uh, I had three students, my dad who was judging, uh, sitting in the row ahead of me on an old Midwest Airlines flight, and then I was in the row behind, and I was just by myself. And who should walk up and take the seat right next to me but Jim Copeland, who was the former director, executive director of the National Forensic League uh, and and former WFCA, WHSFA coach at Marquette High School in Milwaukee. So uh, being the forensics nerd that I am, I I picked his, I tried to pick his brain um, during the flight, but it was his last nationals as executive director before Scott One took over. And there were a lot of things that a lot of coaches don't realize that behind the scenes went wrong um, at that tournament. And then there were some things that the coaches were were abundantly aware of. And and so he was just, I think he wanted that me time too. Mm -hmm. But here was this young 20-something coach who was starstruck. And here was this legend of forensics. And, you know, and I I picked his brain about the founding of WFCA and WHSFA and all the history between those organizations and the NFL. and, and he really had some some really interesting insights to share with me that really kind of inspired the career trajectory that I've had to this mm-hmm. date um, in terms of really trying to build bridges among the organizations and, you know, really building a coalition to support the activity on MAS because, you know, in this climate politically and, and in terms of education, we all need to protect and, and help each other out, whatever acronym that we we prefer. So, you know, that's that's important. So that was there was a, a, a moment of, of good fortune for me to have that opportunity. And then when I worked for the NSDA and that was kind of by accident. I was going to say, how did you get there? Yeah. So I, I was feeling a little disillusioned with the climate at Rufus King. We had an amazing principal when I was hired full-time to teach there after seven years of coaching from outside the building while I worked at Milwaukee City Hall as a legislative aide and before that at a public relations firm. It must seem like I leapfrog jobs all the time, <laughs> but, but I think I was just ahead of the curve, even though I'm Gen X. I was Gen just saying, X. now that's normal. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, now I'm Gen X, but I was doing the millennial thing before it was a thing. But uh, yeah, so I, 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 when I was hired there, he was the principal was the assistant principal when I was a student there and helped me through some bullying issues and things like that. So he and I went way back, and he really valued what I had done with the forensics program up to that point. 
And uh, and so he was great. And he announced at a faculty meeting on the last day of school, two years into my, my teaching full time there, that he was resigning because he could not face the teachers he respected so much and tell them he had to make further cuts in the budget. Um, and so as, as a matter of principle, he resigned rather than continue in a role he didn't believe in anymore. And I, wow. he's still one of my personal heroes, Andrew Moiler. Um, and, uh, yeah, but anyway, we, we had just kind of a a revolving door of administrators after that. And, and there, there were certain teachers in the building who were complaining about certain things. And if they had the principal's ear first, that was, you know, the squeaky wheel that got their grease. And there were people who were jealous of what I had built with the forensics program and thought that I was getting too much attention or whatever in the building. So the new administrators made my life not as easy. Mm. Um, when I was burning the candle at so many different ends, um, I was also doing the school's website and volunteering on the alumni committee and all kinds of other things. Um, and I just wasn't feeling like that work was valued anymore. Um, and so I made the really difficult personal decision to start looking elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And, and I asked Scott one for a letter of recommendation because I still wanted forensics to be central to what I did. Well, little did I realize that by asking him for that, he was aware that I was on the market and reached out to me when uh, Tyler Billman, who had done my job prior to me, um, had decided to go back to the collegiate level of, of doing forensics. And, uh, and I had a tremendous six-year run um, with the NSDA in their office in Ripon. And that's when I really started to, I think, coming out of my comfort zone mm-hmm. um, ultimately led to my coming out of the closet um, because I had to move to a different city. I wasn't living in the same house that I had lived in yeah. for the first 30 years of my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, taking that NFL job made a huge difference in my life. And you know, just traveling all over the country as an ambassador for the organization. So what was that job? What did you do at the NFL? Um, <laughs> my, my title was Education and Programs Coordinator, which was a catch-all uh, title that meant whatever new and different program or project um, Scott or the board or our staff collectively uh, determined was, was something we should be focusing on. And so... I did all kinds of weird little odd jobs, you know, that, well, and I shouldn't say little. Some of them were huge in scale. There was one debate contest that was called Now Debate This, and it was an attempt you to You should have seen the gesture that, that just was, came with it. was oh, so jazzy. Debate. I know. Now Debate This. Now Debate This. Well, I, and, <laughs> and if you knew the people we worked with, they, they, they were amazing people who had energy. And it's funny, every, even to this day when I think about it, and it was tied to the inauguration of President Barack Obama as a 44th president and what his 100 days in office would look like. And the political social, social climate at the time was one of huge optimism and, and renewal of spirits and things like that. And so tying that into classroom-based programming where kids could debate what the president's priorities should be and and weigh in on that and influence public opinion was was just uh, incredible. And, and a lot of my job was kind of coordinating that, helping promote it to schools. And, you know, and I did little things like that, you know, that were side jobs. But the main focal point of my work really kind of by default became coach support. Um, We would have coaches calling the national office and they would usually speak to one of the amazing clerical staff people that we had, but they, they were a lot of them old bank people, you know, who had been personal bankers or tellers and had been recruited because of their attention to detail mm-hmm. to work in this office. And when Scott one took over from Jim Copeland, he decided to bring in more staff with a professional background in speech and debate education so that they could then expand the level of services and programming mm-hmm. for the coaches around the country. So that became a big part of what I did. Um, providing support to the district qualifying tournaments um, was a huge part of what I did. Um, anyone who's been to the NSDA national tournament knows there are ombuds um, people who are basically, they, they will help interpret basic rules questions. They will help um, deal with protests or um, other rules, violations, um, all of those kinds of things. And everything from 
dealing with lost and found logistics and all that kind of stuff. So really during the district qualifying season, I was an on-call ombuds person for tournaments. So mm-hmm. the, the, the most enjoyable, of course, and I say that tongue in cheek, was when I'd get a call from Hawaii in the middle of the night <laughs> with a rules question, you know, and I'd be groggy and, you know, uh, let me check the handbook, you know, and, and, and try and figure it out. But um, I love problem solving. I love it. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things I love about running tournaments and, and those kinds of things is is uh, just figuring out how to put out fires and, and do all that kind of stuff. So then I was also given stewardship of the middle school national tournament. And that really became, having had my own experience in middle school forensics, that became one of the things I championed the most while I worked there was building up middle school participation. I think a lot of high school coaches who are just in the thick of what they're doing of coaching and competition, they, some of them reach out and, and and start feeder programs or interface with feeder programs if they exist in their areas. What I think is so crucial, though, is by creating a sustained demand at the middle school level, that trickles up into the high school level and really keeps the high school coaches vital, Mm. uh, employed um, in in a climate. And we were talking about this yesterday, too. Uh, Neil Young, a longtime debate coach at Wapaka High School, um, is retiring at the end of the year, and uh, the school does not seem to perceive it as a priority to replace him. And so, you know, debate is already limping along in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And now that's one less program that we'll have because the administration doesn't see the value in it. But if you had middle school kids kind of coming up from the ranks um, and parents who saw the value that it was giving them, backing them up, I think the administrators might be singing a different tune. So I think that's something mm-hmm. we all need to kind of keep an eye on and, and support because it's to our benefit. And I know there's there's people, at least in WHSFA, who coach at both levels. And gosh, my hat, my hat's off to them yeah. Uh, yeah. for all that extra work. <laughs> well, I was going to say, this is kind of a sidebar, but we may as well go down this road since it's coming up. You know, we've talked on the podcast about the importance of middle school programs and the desire to be able to help foster those programs for the benefit of our high school teams, uh, which, you know, may be a selfish motive, but it gets the job done. Um, how is like how like the thought has been there for years. I barely have the time to do what I'm doing now. So as somebody who helped uh, foster that, that national program for middle school, like, what are some tools that we can take advantage of? I mean, because it really it comes down to time yeah. and money mm-hmm. and and leadership. Like there has to yeah. be an adult in the building or an adult who's willing to come into the building to coach and advise uh, who can handle that. Because I, speaking of, as myself, I can't add that to right. my plate and still serve the students of North High well just, just because I want to start a feeder program yeah. for my school. So. Where, how, how would we even begin? You know, I, and, and I don't think I have a catch-all solution that will help everybody. Because okay, every well, it was nice talking to you. Okay, fine, this is fun, thanks. <laughs> however, okay. however, I will share some best practices with you. Um, one of the, the ways I think that, that creates the spark, and, you know, use mm-hmm. the NSTA's branding as spark. <laughs> he did, everybody. He uh, yes. used the spark. And, and I, I Hashtag did it spark leaders. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so to spark interest both among students and middle school teachers is by seeing what the activity is and does. Mm -hmm. And there's no better way to do that than bringing in some of your high school kids to the middle school to do a little sample performance. Now, Mm -hmm. for those of you who have kids who like to push the edgy envelope, particularly in interpretation events, you might want to screen some of those a little (laughs) bit um, and figure out what's a little more PG, um, or in this case, probably even more G. Mm -hmm. I feel Um, personally attacked. <laughs> I may have pointed vehemently <laughs> at Melissa. Yes, you should have, should have seen that gesture <laughs> yeah, flailing yeah. all over. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think that's that's huge. Um, as kind of a sidebar, is, uh, you know, with, with uh, debate as the activity that's really suffering even more than middle school participation. Um, uh, Christy uh, Compton from Hortonville High School, who is this year's uh, Wisconsin Educator of the Year with NSDA, um, was wow, just announced last week. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, uh, over at Hortonville, she brought some of her kids 
to lacrosse to a, a professional development workshop that I did for middle school and high school educators and had her her four kids do an exhibition debate and the teachers just fell in love with us. And in the feedback that I heard after the workshop, they said things like, I thought debate was this big, scary thing, but this public forum format is really accessible. And, mm-hmm. you know, the the way the kids delivered it was really um, understandable. And, and I really liked the, the interplay that they had during the crossfire. So they fell in love with it. And now they want to offer debate at their schools. And so I think if they get a taste of it and they see the excitement and the energy that the kids have, the desire to do it follows suit. Now, mm-hmm. there's a few caveats with that, like, you know, is is the school going to support it? And at the, the base level, the school has to at least support it from a transportation standpoint. Yep. I think that's the, the base level, you know, in terms of expense. Um, and then once that's in play, then, you know, we look at, okay, then do you have the monies for registration fees? Although sometimes passing those along to kids, if it's not exorbitant, you know, get some buy-in, you know, as well as the school kicking in money for any kids who um, have demonstrated financial needs so that, you know, we're not creating a, a system of haves and have nots, you know, and then looking at a bigger picture, whether there's some kind of stipend to compensate the coach for their professional time, all that kind of stuff. But I think that is, is a really good pathway. And then in tandem with that, getting support from parents and plugging into parents groups. And and so in lacrosse right now, um, where my own son is enrolled in a middle school, I've been working with um, some of the rotary clubs in town, talking to people who have kids who are in the schools about the activity, getting them intrigued enough to exert pressure on the on the principal at the school so then I can go into the superintendent's office and say, let's do something district wide and create an infrastructure for this. And and so I think, you know, it, it really just depends on on the personalities involved from administration to parent groups to that kind of stuff. But getting in front of those people, I think, is so crucial um, to just building interest. And then the rest should follow. I think that's a great answer. Like, what's your first step? Show them what it is. Yeah. And I think so often we are so entrenched, we forget that. Yeah. That there are still so many people who just don't know what the heck it is that we do. Uh, so, yeah, that's 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 a great first step. Yeah. And then let me add one other step. And that's um, and, and, and it's interesting. This is not something that is embraced all that much in the Wisconsin culture of middle school forensics that's established, but elsewhere in the country, it's a big thing. And that's coaching by the high school kids of their middle level counterparts. That's what we, we, cause we tried to set up mm-hmm. a feeder program for South. And so we had a, a staff member at our nearest middle school who was in charge of it. And then my kids went over twice a week in the afternoon, right after school for 45 minutes. And they coached the kids themselves and it, it worked really well. We don't, we don't have access to that staff member anymore. They're no longer teach at that middle school. So that's why we didn't get to continue building our program. But yeah. yeah, we, we did that and it was great. And the kids got to compete at the North and South tournaments and it was adorable, mm-hmm. sure. <laughs> but just figuring out how to make like allowances for those sorts of things. And yeah. Sometimes it's hard for schools to allow it to be like, we want these kids are going to transport themselves to go help these middle schoolers and the school being like, well, that's iffy and mm-hmm. yeah, finding those rules. But yeah, it worked, it, I, it worked really well for us when we had the permission and it was getting that staff member at the middle school to be on our team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that really, like I said, there's money, but like leadership, yeah, leadership is, is the, the hardest part sometimes. Um, and I don't know if that's nationwide or statewide, but certainly in Sheboygan, the motivation to teach and coach or advise or the expectation that, that you would teach and coach or advise is not there like it used to be. No. There are many, many teachers uh, at North High School who I know leave at 345. Yeah. You know, and that's the, the end of their day comes and that's that. And their priority is elsewhere. And their priorities are not wrong. I mean, they, no. you know, they are young families. They want to go home to their kids. They are maybe coaching their rec leagues. Like, right. you know, now in my job at the rec department, I see those teachers and they are involved in the community or they're involved in their churches or they're, you know, they're doing other things for the community. Uh, but they're, I feel like there used to be an expectation that like you're a teacher and what? 
Right. Are you yeah. a, a basketball coach? Are you a speech team coach? Are you a, a student council advisor? Like what, yeah. what else are you bring to the table? And like that, that isn't a part of the culture in our schools anymore. Um, so it's a lot harder to go and say like, who wants this thing? Yeah. Cause it's a good thing to have if you're going to do a thing, but when there's the option to not do a thing, they choose that. Yeah. And I, as executive director, I visit contests all over the state. And even yesterday among the debate coaches, it's so disheartening to hear the stories. Like yesterday they were talking, one of the schools had just hired a new orchestra teacher and they refused to do concerts after school or, you know, like outside of things. Like I'm a classroom teacher during the day. You'll just have to hire somebody else to do it if there's not extra money because they came from a school district where they were paid a handsome stipend for every extra little thing that they did. So, you know, in this post Act 10 world of education in Wisconsin, where each school district is so different in how it conducts business and they're recruiting teachers away, the wealthier school districts are recruiting teachers away from the school districts that aren't as wealthy. And it's, it's just, it's really sad. Yeah. Well, and for the record, I don't think that's wrong either. Like as, as somebody who's heavily involved in music and theater, that person's right. They should be handsomely paid for the extra work that they put in. Um, but not at the expense of, of the students. students and the programs. Like, yeah. like let's all agree that it's a terrible thing that the situation isn't different. Like you right. should, that what you do should be valued and it should be valued monetarily, uh, but to not have an orchestra concert at night seems kind of unthinkable to me. Well, and that's a great segue to something else we were talking about earlier, and that's that uh, a lot of people don't think of forensic activity, speech, debate, one act, whatever have you, as being sports. And, uh, you know, and I'll never forget, I, I think I was a second year coach and Jody Roy, professor of communication at Ripon College, was invited as a guest speaker to our WHSFA fall district coaches meeting um, held at Wisconsin Lutheran High School. And she taught me at, at that young age in my early 20s that what I was doing was a sport. It was an academic, not athletic sport, but all of the mm-hmm. same principles of sports applied. You know, there, there's practice and conditioning that, that the kids have to do. You know, we do warm ups before meets or we do tongue twisters and whatnot. You know, there there's uh, good sportsmanship, you know, in terms of how you support your peers, even when you're competing against them. So, you know, it, it really was instructive to me. And now I'm, I'm running an activities organization that's a member of the National Federation of State High School Associations or NFHS, which is the gold standard bearer activity uh, organization for Uh, athletic coaches, athletic directors at schools, and the organization also sponsors a speech, debate, and theater section, as well as a music section. Um, For for music, it covers solo and ensemble interscholastic contests, and for speech, debate, and theater, it it handles our, our tournaments and festivals. And every September, I go to a meeting where I'm often in the room with people who work with activities associations in states like like Minnesota, where their activities association does everything from football to d- competitive dance, you know, and and, <laughs> and theater, yeah. you know, and uh, and so those are often people from athletic director backgrounds running those organizations or um, our activity in those organizations. And then there's folks like me who are full time, you know, operators of an organization that just does speech debate theater kind of thing or, you know, is is a little bit more limited in, in scope. And then there's some states where, you know, they, they have like a part time executive director who's does it on on kind of a volunteer basis like Indiana, um, but that they're appointed by their their peer coaches. And then there's organizations like WFCA or WDCA that are entirely volunteer run um, and run more by committee. And uh, and so really it varies all over the country. And um, but I think what's important to note is that, you know, especially with our organization in Wisconsin being akin to the WIAA for athletics or WSMA in music, when I speak those terms to administrators, when I talk to them about the activity, I often get this, 
oh, I had no idea. So you're telling me that I need to pay my my forensics coach along the same lines as I would pay an athletic coach. I'm like, yes. Yeah. You know, we, we need to get that please. word out, you know? So so that's a battle that I that I really try and fight on behalf of everybody um, in the state doing the activity. Awesome. I wanna just touch touch base a little bit more on your time in the uh, NFL, now the NSDA, um, but just kind of generally, what's it like to work there? Like, what's the or- what was the organization like? And I know it's gone through a lot of changes and it's grown a lot, sure. even since, you know, a few years ago when you worked there. But what's it like to be a part of a national organization for speech and debate? Uh, you know, it, it, I, I think back to that eighth grader who had the deer in his headlights look with a Gettysburg address in his hands. And, and the fact that I that eighth grade me never would have imagined there was a national organization and and that this activity had had this big magnitude to it. It's really, really interesting. Um, And in some respects and quite mundane in others, you know, as as any job is. Uh, First of all, the the national headquarters building in Ripon, which is the, the only office that that I had ever worked out of is an old bank building. It was the old Ripon Federal Savings and Loan uh, and, and quite historic. Um, it was very 1950s chic, a uh, big open space um, that was incredibly energy inefficient mm-hmm. um, and, and you know, just, just a lot of little quirks to it. Um, I had a basement office and I'd often uh, joke that I was relegated to the dungeon, um, <laughs> but uh, that was more a function of, of just giving me the privacy to be able to work uh, and talk on the phone with with coaches and district chairs around the country because it was an enclosed space because everything upstairs, uh, aside from a few key offices that were already occupied, were was open and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and quite frankly, noisy, especially when you had different machines like the machine that folded paper or whatever have mm-hmm. you uh, were going. So. Um, I, I really I like that basement office. Um, my boss let me paint it and, you know, kind of make it warm like like this space is. And uh, and yeah, it, it, it was interesting. Down the hall from me was the real dungeon. It was the old armory for Ripon. Um, and according to legend, also a stop along the Underground Railroad, which oh, Ripon was a big hotspot for. Um, in fact, the Republican Party of 1854 that was founded in Ripon uh, was the progressive liberal party of its time of abolitionists. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so th- there was a lot of that happening and, and a lot of crossover with the college and a lot of um, stuff. And, and Ripon's original city hall sat on the same location, on the same ground where, where that bank building was ultimately put together. So, um, so during the year, you know, the, I would move from project to project, and um, during district tournament season, I would sometimes be invited to serve as as kind of a, a, a referee, if you will, at different district tournaments. Um, one of the first ones I went to was in Texas, and I will not say anything um, else about <laughs> where it was in Texas, but there were some tensions between some of the people on the district committee and um, certain um perceptions of cheating and I didn't see any of that going on. I think it was just heavy rivalry Mm. and a lot of paranoia. And I I mean, I I literally just sat there and just kind of occasionally glanced over at the computer where they were running the the program to to do everything, you know, and and the coach who had originally made the big complaint was like, I'm just so glad you're here. Everything's running so much better. And I'm just thinking to myself, I'm not doing anything, but okay. and and this was in mid to late February, and um, when I left Wisconsin, it was negative nine uh, that Sounds morning. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then when I got to Texas, it was sixty eight degrees, so I did not mind that too much. But the morning I left, um, I was flying out of the airport. It was twenty nine degrees. And uh, the the night before, everyone, all the coaches were like, well, thanks for bringing the Wisconsin <laughs> weather with you, Adam. Uh, and then the, the next district. And you were like, listen, it gets worse. I know. Yeah, <laughs> this is nothing. Yeah. The, uh, the next district tournament I went to was um, in Florida. And uh, and it was a vast district geographically that encompassed Orlando and Palm Beach, which are about a three hour drive from one another. Um, and so it was difficult for, for schools to, to travel to those and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and um, 
there there were some tensions there, although not as big as Texas. Everything's bigger in Texas. <laughs> Just ask my husband. Um, but the 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 camaraderie was was okay. Um, but I remember my boss being really nervous about me going to Palm Beach in. Uh, March and hotel rates being as they are, that kind of stuff. Well, first of all, I got to Orlando and I stayed in the guest room of the district chair's apartment uh, the first night. And then I roomed with her fiance at the time um, because they both worked at private schools where they were not allowed to share a room as adults with a member of the opposite sex that they were not married to. Mm-hmm. So I, I was I was just her fiance's um, roommate in, in the hotel, and that worked out really well. So the NFL didn't have to expend any extra funds um, for me to help provide support there, and you know, and 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 I, I had a roommate to talk to, and, you know, <laughs> it, it, you know, the the jet set lifestyle of going around the country when you work for a national organization sounds exciting, mm-hmm. but it really gets boring after a while of, yeah. of living out of hotel rooms, of eating fast food so anytime I had the opportunity to you know like stay in a guest room with somebody who was so generous to offer I did and and it made for such a better experience you know right. remember we watched uh, American Idol that night and <laughs> you know it just yeah. just had a lot of fun just have a normal life stuff yeah yeah you know. And then that district chair ultimately was my wedding officiant. So, oh, you know, that's, you know yeah. that's how those those friendships are born and all that kind of stuff. So, awesome. awesome. I love forensics. Yeah. I know, right? Yeah. And then there's a national tournament, and that was a whole other beast of its own. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. Talk to me about <laughs> yeah. nationals. I, I got a little taste of it. And again, right place, right time. Um, when I had just started teaching, I was invited to work with the NFL as a consultant on an international debate uh, program that uh, Donis Roberts out of South Dakota had written a grant for. Uh, and so they, the NFL flew me to Washington, D.C. for a week to work with kids from eight different countries, uh, teach them congressional debate and public forum debate. Um, and we were housed at the Catholic University of America in dorms, and the Catholic University was one of the co-sponsors. So, you know, again, the NFL didn't pay a penny for any of this. It all came out of either Catholic University sponsorship or the grant. Mm-hmm. So it was a great program. And then I we got to nationals a week early and, and helped to set up there and then kind of saw the international kids through their own competition and then kids who broke to initial elims but then didn't advance to late elims got to then participate in rounds alongside the international kids that's cool cool. yeah and i remember seeing a kid at the airport on my way home who said you were one of the people running this international thing right and i said yeah and he said he shook my hand vigorously and said thank you so much he said I'm gra- I, I, I just graduated, but in my four years of doing this activity, that was probably the most memorable experience I've ever had. Aww. And being the emotional person I am, I just started to tear up because this kid was just so like earnest and and excited in 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 the in the, mm-hmm. the high of the moment of this experience, and, and it reminded my reminded me why we do what we do. That really is the nationals experience, yeah. like a particularly good one for that kid. But I mean, I think that's echoed. In, in every student I've ever taken to nationals, that it's just such an eye-opening, wonderful experience. So, yeah. um, and I, I appreciate that you, you've mentioned a couple times like where the money came from for these extra things, um, because you know we do pay to be a part of the NSDA, and it sounds like you yeah. guys are good stewards of the resources that you guys are given. And if you're like any other nonprofit national organization, you don't have nearly enough money nope. to yeah. do the things that you're doing, and somehow you're still pulling it off. Uh, yeah. So thank you to you who worked for the NFL for so many years, and thank you to everybody who works in the NSDA now uh, and to the hundreds of people who volunteer their time as well Mm -hmm. uh, to make NSDA events uh, work. So thanks to those guys. And I think the last thing you said about the volunteers was one of the things I enjoyed most about running nationals from a staff perspective is and it's like a reunion every year. You, you come together with these people who are in these tab rooms. They are some of the most humble 
beautiful human beings who just give of themselves so much, you know, and from the outside, they're perceived as these big, you know, kind of terrifying personalities because of of the power they wield, so to speak, you mm-hmm. know, in, in terms of chairing a tab room or something like that. And and my experience from from the other side of the curtain is they're just down to earth, really incredible educators who really care about kids you know, um, what, what, what's the new uh, merchandise shirt you're you're selling? Be nice to kids, yeah. right? Yeah, rule number, number one. one. Rule number one. Yes. Be nice to kids. And and and, and I think that. That's, you know, people perceive the national championship as being such a high caliber competition and everything else. And it it might from the outside appear as this big old mean thing. But I found as as both a referee, ombudsman kind of person and whatnot, we always erred on the side of kids. Um, Scott, one, the executive director, is an incredible human being who never wanted to penalize kids because of poor choices their coaches made. So, you know, any time that a punishment had to be made so that, you know, people wouldn't just keep doing something willy nilly, it was always the subsequent year. Like you would lose a Mm -hmm. qualifier in, you know, one of your two qualifiers in this event because you ran your district tournament poorly the previous year. But we're not going to penalize any of the kids in the current year. And I and I've really taken that philosophy forward with me into the WHSFA. Um, and I and I think that's so important and, and just always putting kids first in the decisions we make, you know, and we're so forgiving about things like the, one of the biggest uh, problems that we have is is a confusion by coaches and and often by coaches who don't have a background in English language arts and literature who don't know the difference between group interp and play acting and what pieces are legal in each and they don't really understand that drama means a play script or a radio script or mm-hmm. radio play or something like that and so you know they see something on YouTube the kids transcribe it and they think oh that's that's uh, that's dramatic. We can do it in play acting or vice versa. And, you know, and, and so we're like, okay, we, we've tried to discover it at the sub-district or district level and, and then just move them into the correct category mm-hmm. for the, the next one on. So That's awesome. Well, we still want to talk about WHSFA. We still want to talk about China. And I want to talk about Scott a little bit. Oh, okay. So why don't we take a little break and then we can come back in a few minutes. So that was part one. Part two is going to come next week, and we hope that you enjoy it just as much as we enjoy doing it. Exactly. Forensic Spaces is recorded and edited in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Our theme song was written and performed by JJ Hammeister. If you're a fan of Forensic Spaces, give us a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Find more info at ForensicSpaces.com or connect with us on Facebook and Twitter by searching for Forensic Spaces. I'm Kurt. And I'm Melissa, encouraging you to listen, think, and speak. Preferably in that order. Mm-hmm.